1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join
0: the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I am joined by Hurricane... Aka Gerard Martinez, my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane. How you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. I don't know if I want to be introduced as Hurricane every time we do a podcast,
1: but I, I hear you, I'm Hurricane. But that's just the way it goes. You, you introduce your, net, your name, your nickname, last last episode, and it's just going to stick. It's better than Gerald, but you're the Hurricane from now on. Okay.
0: It just needs a little context because you're going to have to explain where that comes from every time it comes up.
1: No, the the people that know, if you don't know, you you don't know. It's fine. If you don't know, you know, okay. (laughs) Um, I did have a little bit of a treat for you. We got a five star Apple review. So I wanted to read it to you and get your reaction. Okay. 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 So this one was a couple days ago. Uh, comes from Pretty Boy Boogie. Uh, love the information they provide. Gmart is legit, but Chris is kind of annoying most of the time. That's it. <laughs> That's the review. How we feeling? It, that was a five-star review, though. A five-star review for her, a two-star podcast.
0: Well, your annoyingness has uh, not brought our star average down, so it's uh, still good, still good.
1: So good. And there's actually another one before that. The first one, I don't think we've, I don't think this was addressed to us. Ryan didn't tell us about this one, but, uh, this one comes from Stevie674. Sub guys, Stevie Sanchez here. Favorite USC podcast is definitely the composite two star podcast because it doesn't have Ryan cutting out as soon as the one hour mark hits. LOL. Good stuff, guys. Love the whole team. Thank you guys for all your hard work. I constantly jump on Twitter to check Shotgun and Chris's timeline look at any retweets regarding USC football to thank you guys for always staying on top of that shout out to my two fellow Hispanic brothers what part of Mexico does your family come from Chris and Gerard so it's even like a little question in there as well
0: (laughs) well I I noticed that he didn't uh, give me any depth on Twitter but I I have to say
1: (laughs) well you're not on Twitter a lot no I'm not
0: I'm not so that's uh that's a wise decision quite frankly uh I'm like uh late on the retweets and uh, I'm I'm just, you know, I'm waiting for Elon Musk to, uh, to get rid of the bots. You know, that's what we're sure. waiting for. We're waiting for the next shoe to drop when it comes to Twitter and the bot war, uh, which uh, probably won't happen, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think most of my family is from Mexico, Mexico city. It's uh, from central Mexico. Um, not too much uh, Southern province uh, that I know of, Um, So, you know, Martinez is obviously a a Spaniard name. So it's more uh, the Spanish uh, influence than um, sort of the native uh, Mexican um, that, uh, you know, you have some you have some very white uh, (laughs) Mexicans. Uh In Mexico City and around that area because it's just more uh European influenced. A lot of people are pretty shocked when they see redheaded Mexicans and blonde Mexicans. But that's because of uh, the Spanish that uh, came and uh, conquered Mexico so many years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't have an exact uh area like maybe Gerard had a little bit more. I do know I have family in the Guadalajara region. I know because I visited there to visit my great, uh like, aunt or something great great aunt she was like 103 years old so i know i have family out in that region but other than that i do not know but we always love the uh we're big with the hispanic community gerard those those latino guys that's our that's our brand right now so thank you to stevie uh sanchez and thank you to pretty boy underscore boogie I'm sorry I annoyed you with my friendship. I, 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 I apologize, but you can leave us a two star review, a five star review for the two star podcast. We really appreciate that. We're trying to get to a thousand for the whole peristyle podcast, uh, unit. We're only like 22 short. So if you feel obliged to send one our way for the two stars, please give us five stars. So we appreciate that. Okay, Gerard, we have some stuff to talk about, uh, the main thing, which is probably going to dominate the entire first part of our show, and we're going to lead open with the cold open, is the Clarkson QB retreat. You and I were there. We were reunited at an event. Felt like our first event in in a little bit. Uh, but it was a star-studded, uh, retreat, as always. You had a uh, five-star receiver, Brandon Innes. You had four-star private receiver, Hakeem Williams. You had Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback there. You had Makai Lemon. He wasn't working out, but he was hanging out. We got a little bit of a a taste of USC's new 2024 QB target, DJ Lagway, a five-star composite prospect out of Houston, Texas. We're going to talk about him. Uh, Dylan Raiola, uh, Lincoln Riley's former uh, quarterback crush. He was there as well. And then you had a a trio of USC's top offensive players there. Caleb Williams is obviously a QB retreat, so no surprise to see him in attendance. Uh, Mario Williams was also in attendance, and obviously the big surprise guest was Jordan Addison, USC's new wide receiver signee, five-star transfer, the Blutnikoff winner from last season, the former Pitt Panther. He was in attendance. Uh, Gerard got to talk with him and Mario Williams, so lots going on, lots of uh, uh, famous faces. Bryce Young was there, Heisman winner. Uh, Cedar Shroud was there. Uh, B. John Robinson was there. I did not see his Lamborghini. But uh he he was there. There was just so many people there. Uh Lane Kiffin was there. Everyone who was involved with quarterbacking was there. Uh Gerard, what were your just your initial just thoughts on the Steve Clarkson QB retreat? That was my first one, and there was a lot to take in.
0: Yeah, it's definitely grown over the years. It used to be down at Coronado, and it was a mm-hmm. pretty low key event. You know, it was um, a handful of quarterbacks and then a few quarterback counselors that were college players, Uh, but it was a much smaller event. This was a huge event. I I mean, there must have been a thousand plus people there, probably just milling around the sidelines. Everybody had uh, their little tents, cabanas that uh, their family- Cubanas.
1: Cubanas, Cubanas, hashtag Cubanas.
0: Okay. Um, and their families could just kind of hang out there and, and be under uh, the Cubana uh, while uh, the players, um, you know, went through drills. It, it's a low-intensity, not a lot of action-type camp, but welcome to a quarterback event. They tend to be uh, 80% standing around, 20% actually throwing the football. And so in terms of, like, the amount of video we got that was action, that was competitive, it was, you know, nil. <laughs> so we ended up just taking a little video of, uh, some of the, the USC Trojan players just, uh, throwing the ball around and hanging out. And, um, obviously it was good to get interviews though and be able to talk to some of the people that were there and everything going on. And, uh, yeah, there was a ton of, uh, talent there, a, a ton of, uh, players. And like I said, it's grown a lot. You know, it's, um, now sponsored by Adidas. Gatorade and uh, some big sponsors there. And you look at the event and how it was held and the amount of people that were there. You have to imagine that it cost a lot of money uh, to have an event like that. So uh, definitely uh, good for Steve Clarkson. Um, he's definitely uh, you know, made that into uh, quite a premier event, you know, flying all those people in not just the kids uh, that were playing uh, in the event, the high school guys, but you know, I'm sure, you know, all those college guys he had to fly in as well. And so the young campers definitely got a ton of good, not just quarterbacks, but like really good players to be able to chat with and talk with and learn with. You know, I saw, um, you know, uh, several players kind of getting some sidebars with Bryce Young, you know, talking a little bit with him. And, I mean, you got current Heisman Trophy winner and uh, current Boletnikoff winner on the same field, uh, which is rare. Yeah. So for you know those high school guys and those younger kids that were there to be able to chat with those guys and be able to talk with them and um, you know get a little one on one time and, and certainly it's not just on the field. There's a lot of stuff that goes on off the field and they're getting some meetings and I'm sure that they're having seminars and what have you. Uh, those kids are are getting invaluable exposure to some of the best players in college
1: football. I think my favorite like underrated moment for the retreat was when we were kind of standing there and you said, how do do they pay for all this? Like how how does all this get paid for? And I was like, Gerard, these are QBs, QB, the QB industry, especially like in the prep league is like the money is like there, these, these QB parents, like you got to pay for the instruction. You got to pay for the instruction again. You know, you pay for all these events and stuff. So, QB parents, super deep pocketed. I'm not, I'm not shocked, uh, that this is a well funded sort of event. You know?
0: Yeah, it was well sponsored too. I mean, you pointed to all oh, the little kids and <laughs> they were going through drills <laughs> that were not the high school players or the college players. And you're like, that's how. And I go, well, yeah, to some extent, I'm sure it's, um, probably a good chunk of money to be able to participate in the camp and the younger kids are fitting that bill. But uh, for something like that, which probably cost at least a million dollars to put together, you're going to have to depend on sponsors. And so it becomes, okay, what are the sponsors getting out an event like this? Um, it seems like it's really more of a photo op than anything for Adidas and allows Adidas, I'm sure, to get a lot of marketing with some of those guys and get their foot in the door. Certainly with a Bryce Young, maybe going into the NFL, uh, gives them a chance to be able to maybe get in front of him and talk with him and certainly at this point in time put a bunch of gear on all those guys and then you get photos and that helps them in that way. And sort of that's what the All-American Bowl is about. And, and with mm-hmm. Under Armour, that's what the Under Armour game is about. It's uh, getting that brand on those top players and associating their brand with those top players and then trying to move that forward so people buy their gear. You know, they associate their gear – with uh, the elite athletes So uh, that continues And we saw that uh You know, Saturday
1: Let's transition into some of the Specifics in terms of like specific Players that we saw, I think obviously The big sort of dynamic There was obviously, in terms of the Prep prep players was, you had USC's five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson, he was hanging out There all day, hanging with uh, Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, Jordan Addison, he was hanging With them, we'll get into that a little bit more, but also, sort of this dynamic of you saw Dylan Rayola. Obviously, I mentioned that he was there. He's a big kid. This is my first time seeing him up 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 close. He's a he's a big boy, strong arm. He was running around, hanging out, having some some throwing sessions. But I think the the real interesting dynamic that we saw was sort of how Hakeem Williams and Brandon Innes who had just played with Malachi Nelson a couple months ago at that uh, that passing tournament we saw where Malachi came in was sort of a uh, mercenary quarterback and played on their team that South Florida Express team and kind of played with all those guys but it seemed like especially with Brandon uh he was seemed like he was sort of hanging out with uh Dylan Rayola more than he was hanging out with USC committed Malachi Nelson that was I think sort of maybe one of the bigger takeaways that we saw that we just saw with our eyeballs, you know, and that didn't really need to. That wasn't sort of an interview thing. That wasn't a tidbit that we got from interviewing. That was just something we we sensed when we were when we were out there.
0: Yeah, I think you know Brandon Ennis and Hakeem Williams showed up ready to actually work, and they were ready to go through drills, and they were going through drills, and they're warming up, and they never really got to get in a lot of work, and so Dylan Royola and some of those underclassmen quarterbacks were sort of the same mindset. You know, some of those guys were there. They were going through drills. And I think Brandon was just, like, looking for somebody to throw with. And Malachi Nelson just really wasn't around to throw. He was just kind of hanging around the peripheral. Um, I think he had some stiffness or he had some type of – I don't want to call it an injury, but there was something going on where he was over at the masseuse for a while. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't really there performing very much. He kind of threw the ball around a little bit with Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. But we didn't really see them on the field at all together. Uh, speaking of uh, Brandon Enos and Malachi Nelson, uh, didn't really see them hanging out at, at all. And so it gave uh, Dylan Raiola probably a chance to to talk to Brandon Enos a little bit and uh, Hakeem Williams a little bit. And uh, they did throw a little bit together, uh, but there was really not a lot of like full on action um, to see any of those guys uh, in a competitive type environment. So, you know, what happens off the field, we didn't really get to see. Sources told me that Malachi Nelson actually took Brandon Enos around uh, town and they hung out a bunch uh, Saturday night. And um, I actually have to follow up to see if Brandon Ennis or Heikey Williams actually made it to USC. I kind of don't think they did. Um, they were supposed to go up Sunday evening and it wasn't sounding like they were going to because I got uh, the kind of response when I asked about it, like they don't really need to see USC again. Um, and speaking with Hakeem Williams specifically, just from an interview standpoint, I think I still got to put that interview up. It definitely seems like USC is on the peripheral for him right now. He's got Mm -hmm. uh, a few official visits, uh, that are in the works. I think he's got two set Georgia and Texas A&M. A lot of people think he's going to end up at Texas A&M right now. They feel like he's the lead school. Uh, I know, um, that Florida is in there and they're trying to get an official visit, Florida State as well. It doesn't sound like USC is going to get an official visit. So he loves L.A. He has a good relationship with Dennis Simmons, um, but it just doesn't seem like USC is going to be a school for him. Uh, and Enos, I, I would say, you know, a lot of the talk is Ohio State and Alabama have sort of pushed ahead for Enos. I wouldn't say that's inaccurate. I, I think that that is uh, probably where it stands right now. I think USC is definitely still in it. I think they're still within uh, striking distance to be able to land him. Uh, He wants to take his official visit to USC during the season. The interesting thing is going to be whether he waits to make a commitment and does not commit before the start of the season. I've talked to people around him who have always given me the impression they just don't think he's going to wait that long. But Brandon himself has told us he's going to wait until signing day. So that was surprising when he said that to a lot of people. A lot of people were shocked. And, you know, I asked around and it kind of was like, ah, probably not, probably not. And these same people said he was going to be back out here again for another unofficial visit. And I'm hearing he might be out for another unofficial visit. Now, he might not have actually made it to campus. So just because he was in LA doesn't necessarily mean he was on campus at USC. And I think that is important when we start talking about Actions speak louder than words in recruiting. That is one of those things that if you went, you came all the way out to LA, and you did not go out to see Lincoln Riley, Dennis Simmons. You were here for three days and you didn't go up to see them at all. That tells me something that uh, the interest level there has waned a bit. I think if you're really serious about USC and you're really feeling USC, you make sure you just get up there for at least an hour just to say hello. You know, you know, you got Uber, you got Lyft. If you can't get a ride, um, I, there was so many SE people around, uh, that event, uh, Saturday at Clarkson that it's hard for me to believe that it was, uh, not possible for him to be able to make a little jump over to USC, which is, you know, uh, 20 minutes, half an hour away, uh, from where we were in Santa Monica. So yeah, interesting, you know, seeing how this all, uh, um, you know, unfolds a bit, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later because uh, you also have DeAndre Moore, who committed to Louisville. And so mm-hmm. the wide receiver position is um, going to be an interesting one, not one that I think anybody is really too worried about. It's like a right. quarterback position. Um, there's a, a long history there of uh, success under Lincoln Riley, developing and recruiting those positions, uh, but certainly um, some interesting talking points that are developing here in the recruiting process for USC.
1: Right, and in terms of Innis, that was sort of the big, like, interview takeaway is that, well, there it was kind of the expectation that he was going to take that USC official visit during June, this month, and probably during that that massive official visit weekend, where we're going to talk about it again. We talk about it every week on this podcast, because it just keeps adding names, and we're going to get into that more, but that was sort of the, the projection that he was going to take that visit then, but... Then it swapped – I believe it's Ohio State is that weekend he's going to go up. But taking two in June and then based on what he talked with Greg Biggins, as you mentioned, he's going to save those other three for in-season, USC being one of them. But like you said, this absolutely feels like a case where he could take that official visit to Ohio State and he could end up committing a week later. And then who knows if he takes those those officials uh, going into the fall. That could absolutely be the case. Just make the commitment for a senior year. We're going to have to wait and see with that. I agree with you in terms of feels like USC is falling back a little bit in terms of, you know, that momentum that we sort of felt during that passing tournament uh, out there in, uh, was it Irvine? No, not Irvine. Uh, wherever it was, where South Florida Express came out, there was a lot of momentum around those guys. A lot of a lot of positive feelings, you know, Mark Fletcher, Kermani McClain, Brandon Ennis, Hakeem Williams. And it just shows... How things change in the recruiting cr- recruiting process because now, f- what, three months later, four months later, we're talking about how U.S. needs followed back a little bit for Hakeem Williams or they're on the peripherals for Brennan Innes, you know, things like that. Mark Fletcher's committed somewhere else and Kermani uh, McLean is, you know, trending for Alabama. So it's just, it's just interesting how these things fluctuate, uh, thinking back how we were covering mm-hmm. them then as we are covering now. Um, so, yeah, so – that was my big takeaway from being around those guys, you know, Dylan Raiola, Ohio State quarterback, hanging out with them. That's uh, that's obviously a good sign for the Buckeyes, but we're going to have to wait a couple more months to figure out really what's going on with Brendan Innes. And like you said, actions do speak louder than words.
0: Yeah, it's uh, good. I'll interject. It, yeah. I mean, if USC can get out of the summer without him committing to mm-hmm. Ohio State or Alabama, you know, all bets are off. and USC can turn things with that season and bring him in against Notre Dame. And, you know, now all of a sudden that the the tables have turned quite a bit. You know, if he actually holds off from a commitment all the way until the end of the season and you're able to bring him in in late November and USC is, you know, nine games, ten games, and it looks like they're going to go to a major bowl game. I think 24-7 sports has them projected playing Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Well, that's a 10-win season. If USC's putting it together, that kind of season, I mean, then, again, all bets are off. And then you start to look at that weekend and you say, gosh, that's a great thing that they're able to bring in Brandon Enos this late. And you might even argue, why didn't they wait to bring in some of these other guys instead of having them all on one weekend and, and have that impact? But it's not like you can't bring in guys unofficially. There's going to yeah. be a lot of work that has to be done during the season by USC on the field to either turn the tide with some of these guys, build more momentum with some of these guys. There may be guys that you get your foot in the door with the the summer and they turn around and they decide they're going to commit somewhere else, but you still have the ability to flip that commitment with everything that goes on during the season. If you're able to get those unofficial visits, that's the big thing is you need to get those guys back on campus and they're going to have to pay their way to do it. And you know, airlines, uh, they're charging a little more now with all the gas prices and jet fuel prices going up. So that might become a little less of a thing. With COVID, you saw so many cheap flights because nobody was flying, nobody wanted to travel. They're kind of going to see a little bit of a spike now to try to uh, – the airline industries want to get some of that money back. So I don't know if, if that's going to be as uh, convenient to get those guys out unofficially. We'll see. Uh, but certainly uh, with some of those guys having them later in the year, and that's always, you know, been kind of USC strategy is to have guys come in later in the year when it's snowing in Michigan or in Ohio State. Uh, you've got this, you know, 80-degree weather uh, at, uh, you know, Los Angeles. And, and it's, a, you know, really kind of a thing where if you can combine the atmosphere of the Coliseum with a winning football team, and the coaching staff is recruiting these guys hard, um, that tends to work in USC's favor uh, against even some of the best football programs out there. So if they're able to get that kind of momentum on the field, again, all bets are off.
1: And even if he is committed to Ohio State or in Alabama at that point, you're looking at 10 wins, playing Notre Dame, looking at a New Year's Six Bowl. You could even still get him on campus, even though he's, he's committed somewhere else, and, and maybe play for that flip. That's the kind of power you have with a 10-win USC season and kind of rolling into that game with a lot of momentum. So even if he's committed, not committed, but like you said, it would be a, a giant win if they could get out of the summer with him not uh, making a pledge to any other school. Now, transitioning, uh, keeping with the quarterback, uh, DJ Lagway. Uh, we mentioned that this is the new QB in the 2022 class. For, for Lincoln Riley, he was out there out of Houston, Texas for, uh, out of Willis, Willis, Texas specifically. Uh, when I asked him, he said Houston, Texas. So we'll keep it with Willis, but number 18 overall prospect, number four quarterback, number one prospect in Texas by the 24 seven composite, 46 overall player, number five QB in the 24 seven sports rankings. He was in town for, in solid California for the retreat. Obviously his first time out in SoCal. He was taking – he took an official visit to USC on Monday uh, before flying back to Texas, and he left with an offer. I talked to him before uh, – I talked to him on Saturday going to the trip. You know He's very excited about it. USC had been talking to him for about a couple weeks. Uh, Coach Josh Henson came to his practice, and then he got on the phone with Lincoln Riley, and then Luke he- Heward uh, came down for a practice. So they were showing interest. Uh Lincoln Riley said they liked his game a lot, or he personally liked his game a lot. They were excited to get him on campus. And he told me he was very confident that he was going to leave with an offer uh on Monday. So he likes to see that confidence in the quarterback. Ended up coming true. So USC, DJ Lagway, he's the officially the second QB Lincoln Riley has offered in the 2024 class. Moving on for Dylan Rayola. And looks like he's going to be the guy moving forward for Lincoln and in this cycle and 6 foot 2 215 i actually think he's a little bit heavier than 215 look more like 225 he's a big guy big lower half his dad played running back at baylor so you could see that in his legs super strong arm i think he won the the longest throw i think he had a throw of like 69 yards so he's got a cannon he he plays basketball and baseball he's actually a, a really good baseball prospect i believe he has uh, baseball offers from lsu and maybe Texas A&M. Uh, it's another SEC school, but you know, super super athletic. He can run, kind of a dual threat quarterback. Uh, I really liked his game. He was out there to work. seemed like he took a little bit to warm up because he didn't really go super early. But once he got going, he was he was slinging them. So, Gerard, I don't know what you thought about Lagway and kind of uh, this offer going out.
0: Well, first and foremost it's an offer stylistically that fits with the quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley has won with. Mm -hmm. Well, that was one of the big questions with USC going all in on Dylan Raiola. Dylan Raiola is a pocket quarterback. You know, he's a big kid. Uh, He's got some athleticism, but he is not a runner. Uh, And he's not really even a scrambler. So that was kind of confusing. I understood that from a, an arm standpoint and just a passing standpoint, why USC would recruit him. <clears throat> but I was confused because you would tend to want to stick stylistically with the quarterbacks that you've had success with. And Jalen Hurts, um, <clears throat> excuse me here, uh, you, you get.
1: Um, You're okay, Hurricane?
0: Ky- like, uh, uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray. Murray. Um, you, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, yeah, all these guys that you uh, that um, Lincoln Riley won with at Oklahoma, they're all guys that can run. And Lagway can run. Lagway is a guy that you watch on the film. Uh, he's a big kid, um, real high cut, got long legs, and he's a a guy that can get out of the pocket and he can run up field and actually gain yards. And so he's not as accomplished as a passer, certainly as Dylan Rayola. uh yeah. He doesn't have. I think the polish or the technique from that standpoint, um, it's got a nice arm, got a big arm. He is going to be a guy that USC is going to have to battle for though. This is not one of those things where USC offers a scholarship and boom, they're top of the list right away. Uh, they're got some other schools there that they're going to have to battle. And as you said, his dad played at Baylor and Baylor right now has kind of turned things around and they look like they're going to be a winning program. We're going to have to see how far, uh, Dave Miranda is going to be able to take them if they're going to be able to, you know, get to that elite status where they're actually competing for the college football playoff. Uh, if so, then that's going to be a, a tough one to be able to uh, to compete against, I think, for USC. He's got some other schools there like LSU uh, that are after him. So, you know, USC a little later to the party here. Uh, but I think that uh, Lagway and uh, his family have a lot of respect for Lincoln Riley. And they definitely uh, are going to entertain that interest and uh, perhaps see more um, of USC going forward. Certainly this season, I I, I got the vibe that they definitely want to see how USC plays and want to just see a little more on-the-field product from USC. Uh, But certainly with that 2024 class, these kids are already committing, they're already making decisions, and and they're already narrowing down uh, their list of favorite schools quarterback position is always sort of ahead of the curve when it comes to that. So uh, there is a, sort of a, a little bit of a time frame here that he is working within. Um, I don't know that he's going to make a commitment before the end of the summer. I wouldn't be shocked if he did. If he does, it probably doesn't bode well for USC. Um, I think he wants to see a little more from USC. I got the vibe that uh USC's a, a great offer. It's a nice sort of feather in the hat, if you will, a West Coast school coming in and, and, uh you know, kind of making his list a little more national. He had a scholarship offers from UCLA. Might have had a scholarship offer from Oregon already, but USC is always the big one when you get it from the West Coast. Uh, if you're a kid from Texas, you're a kid from the South. And so I got the sense that, you know, again, really great offer, really loves Lincoln Riley, still developing that relationship with Lincoln Riley, only just started kind of talking to Lincoln Riley and so, um, yeah, that, that they're a little behind the curve a little with that. So they USC need some time, I think, over the summer and in the beginning of the season to be able to sort of get a better foothold with him. But stylistically, once again, a quarterback that makes a bit more sense to me uh, watching his film than Dylan Raiola. I, I just didn't really get um, where USC would just put it all in for him, uh, seeing that he's just not a guy that's uh, – uh, going to get outside the pocket. And this kind of goes back to even with Clay Helton when they had all that success with Sam Darnold and then sort of went away from that on the recruiting trail. And they went back to going after guys that were just purely pocket quarterbacks. Um, I don't know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if <laughs> your scheme uh, has uh, benefited from the abilities of a quarterback that can gain yards with his feet and can be a run threat, then I think you need to continue to do that.
1: But don't you also think like sort of maybe – I know national like recruiting rankings don't really matter to coaches or maybe they do more than they let on. But Rilla is is rated the number one overall prospect in the nation for the class and he came from Texas. Now he's in Arizona, you know, like – USC's backyard. Do you think maybe that played a little bit into the offer? Just like, oh, well, we have to go after the number one quarterback in the country, right, right down the, uh, right down the west coast in Arizona. Do you think that played into it at all? No, because
0: they, you know, limited their options to him by saying you're going to be the only guy we recruit. So it wasn't necessarily, hey, we just have to go after the best guy nationally because he's the best guy. Or the best guy regionally because he's the best guy. I mean, they haven't offered or re-offered, uh, either of the top quarterbacks in California. And, you know, both those players are pocket quarterbacks as well for the most part. Um, Elijah Brown at Modern Day and uh, Julius Sane down, saying down at uh, Carlsbad. So I don't get a sense that it was just checking boxes, if you will. Um, it sounded, it seemed like, you know, they just really liked Dylan Rayola's game and they feel like, He was a great fit for what they were doing or what they want to do. And, you know, it's not like Lincoln Riley hasn't gone outside the box a little bit with what's worked with him in terms of going forward and what the offense or what he will work with in the future will look like because they went after Devin Brown uh, with, uh, you know, when they came over from Oklahoma and you had that transition period and USC had Devin Brown already committed. there was all these question marks as to, you know, well, he doesn't really fit USC's scheme. And yet they went after him, and even though he committed to Ohio State, USC was going to bring him in on an official visit. It was clear that they wanted him to still be part of that 2022 class. So that was a first indication that they're willing to go away from the athletic quarterback, uh, the guy that's able to uh, scramble and make something out of nothing, uh, which. You know, I think a lot of offensive coordinators they they do like quarterbacks, and this is was was said of Clay Helton. I was told by uh, a coach that was on that staff with uh, Sam Darnold, and after that point, there's a little bit of this is the scheme, this is how we draw it up, this is how we want you to run it. And I think with every offensive coordinator, even Chip Kelly, who's had a tremendous amount of success with running quarterbacks has dabbled in recruiting guys that are mostly pocket quarterbacks because there's this thought that they are going to run the offense exactly like I draw it up. And no freestyling? I know, I, yeah, there's no sort of uh wild card. There's no variable there as to, you know, the RPO, and all of a sudden they decide to tuck it and run it. Or maybe you have an issue where, You know, they, they're indecisive because the running threat is always there. They know that they're able to get yards with their legs. And so maybe things are not as decisive in terms of, you know, what they want to do with the RPO. Um, and you know, Sam Darnold did have, I think it was 22 turnovers, Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that sophomore redshirt year where, uh, he, you know, was looked at as a potential Heisman candidate, you know, after had that great uh, redshirt freshman year. So yeah, you could turn the ball over more. There's a lot more in terms of variables and there's things that you just can't necessarily prepare for. But that's on the flip side why it's so difficult for a defense to be able to play against a running quarterback as well. Uh, I just think that in college football, if you look around, many of these offenses that are very successful tend to have quarterbacks that can have an effect in the run game and they can do things outside of the playbook. And that creativity is always just difficult to prepare for as a defense because you only get those 20 hours. Uh, it's not like that in the NFL. You know, in the NFL, you've got a lot more preparation time. So you can scheme more against a running quarterback, whereas in college, you can't. Now, you know, there's guys like Joe Burrow that at LSU did it with his arm. It really wasn't much of a running threat. He did run a little bit here and there, but that was not his game. His game was being back in the pocket and – letting the ball go and letting his athletes make plays with the ball in the air. And and I think there is something that a lot of offensive coordinators like about that, you know, and, and sort of envy that having that quarterback that sort of makes it look like a video game and you're just calling the plays and boom, he's just firing the ball all around the field during the passing game. So maybe that's part of it. You know, you see that with the Dylan Riola where he's a guy he's a big kid, strong arm, um, He's able to get out of his own way. But again, he's not a guy that's going to do a lot in the run game. He's not going to be super creative. He's built like a linebacker. So, you know, it, kind of like a Tui uh, Loa, you know, he's got a little bit of mobility to his game, but he's a guy that's really going to be more of a pro passer. And so from an offensive quarter standpoint, you kind of know what you're getting from that. Uh, but that, again, if we're looking at what Lincoln Riley has been successful with, is sort of going in the opposite direction of that. The same would be said with Miller Moss. If Miller Moss uh, ends up being the quarterback next year, you know, something happens with Caleb Williams, then you're going to have a pocket quarterback and a guy that, you know, the offense is going to have to change a little bit. And the offensive line specifically is going to have to pass block a little better and a little more. You're not going to have that ability where, You know, Caleb Williams might be able to miss a guy or break a tackle or do something creatively with his legs. Uh, Miller Moss is going to be more of a guy that's going to move in the pocket. And if he gets outside the pocket, you really want to move that with him. Uh, And you want that to be by design and not necessarily because some (laughs) unblocked rusher comes flying off the edge.
1: It's fascinating with that sort of little Helton antidote that you told that you would want to sort of limit – The creativity and not maybe open it up a little more, especially in college football, which is like one of the most chaotic sports out there. Like I feel like the more chaotic energy you can have with your offense, the more stress it puts the defense under and crazy plays happen in college football all the time. So if you have someone who can create like that, especially with their legs, that makes your offense that much more dangerous. Even though maybe, maybe it's just a busted play or something like that, but even, even still it just gives your offense another dimension to it. So look, all I know is when I was playing, uh, uh, EA college football and I was making my Heisman runs, my quarterbacks were always dual threats, always dual threats. Speaking of dual threat quarterbacks, USC's new high end dual threat quarterback, Caleb Williams, he was in attendance at the collection QB retreat also with Probably are going to end up being his top two receivers in 2022. Jordan Addison and Mario Williams were there. Uh Gerard, I feel like that was a little bit of a surprise for us. I know we we expected Miller Moss to be in attendance at the QB retreat, not Caleb Williams. So when we saw him there. It was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. No surprise that Mario Williams tagged along uh with Caleb, brought him out too. But Jordan was also a surprise. I don't think we expected Jordan to be there, but he was there hanging out the two DMV guys uh, with the Florida guy. And, you know, they were vibing, playing a lot of walk ball, which we'll probably get into. But I think the big thing for me, just seeing them sort of interact, was they seemed like they had been teammates for multiple seasons. The chemistry already seemed really tight between them. They were joking, having a lot of fun, messing around. And, you know, they brought even Malachi Nelson in there to play with them a little bit with that walk ball game. But just a lot of laughing a lot of joking around, a lot of of bonding going on out there. So it just looked like they were already, like, set as, like, friends and stuff. Obviously, Caleb needs to get on the same page in terms of on the field when he's thrown to a guy like Jordan Addison. Uh, We'll see that in the summer. It's already seemed like they had a good foundation going, especially between Jordan and Caleb.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think that, uh, you know, Mario and Jordan, I watched – sort of on the side while everybody was doing their drills. They were kind of chopping it up a little bit, talking about route running and steps and footwork. And I, I thought that was interesting. So when I got a chance to talk to both of them, uh, I asked about that. I said, you know, you guys are over there kind of on your sidebar a little bit. Uh, what were you talking about? You know, what were you talking about specifically? And, and it, you know, the conversation sort of went towards – the learning from each other and having that very competitive wide receiver room and how much that competitiveness and that culture that we have at wide receiver is going to develop and really produce on the field. And how how much, you know, for Mario, that was a big thing, being able to have somebody there that's been so successful, that has a Blitnikoff award, has 100 catches, 1,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, a guy that's been there and done that. Well, Mario is, you know, coming off a very good freshman year, uh, but wants to get to that point. And then vice versa, Jordan walking into that wide receiver room when he could have gone to other schools and been the guy. He could have picked a school that had a, a fairly, fairly decent quarterback coming back and not a lot of wide receiver depth, but he chose a school that has. Good wide receivers, you know, that had guys like Terrell Bynum and Brendan Rice already transfer in ahead of him, in addition to Mario Williams. And he said, you know what? It's everything. It's everything to have a quarterback and to have uh, that competitiveness and to have guys that are ahead of you that uh, understand what it takes to be at a high level. And, you know, he's still acclimating to LA. He's still acclimating. To, uh, I think the team and what have you. And he's a much more quiet guy than Mari Williams. Mari Williams is a high energy guy. He's always smiling. He's, you know, up and down the field, all over the field, talking to different people.
1: I was going to say you got, you got both ends of the spectrum in terms of the personality with those two.
0: Yeah, very much so. Very much so. But you know, Jordan's a very sincere guy and a very, um, you know, you, you know that, you know, when he lets his guard down and he starts to chat a little bit, uh, a a real straight up kind of shooter. And, uh, you know, we were just talking a little bit about just, you know, the, the the acclimation to LA and, um, you know, trying to put forth some goals after you win a Blitnikoff, you know, where do you go from there? Where do you go from a hundred catches? You know, is it, is it 150 catches, you know, and and certainly from a statistic standpoint, you know, his numbers could suffer going to USC with there being so many other good players. You've got, more receiver depth, more receiver talent than you had at Pitt. Uh, you have an equally good quarterback, but you also have some good running backs there and USC wants to run a pretty balanced offense. So it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic and how those guys all play together. And we talked a little bit about that, uh, last podcast. I got a little flack actually, uh, playfully, uh, that I wasn't putting enough respect on Jordan Addison's name.
1: They were coming uh, but, after you, Gerard. They were but you know what? It, it,
0: it was great stuff. It was, it was well thought out. And well articulated, and uh, certainly, um, you know, I, I I love that we have uh, that type of feedback on the peristyle with people that you know really um, are, are invested and in, in have such a, a deep love for the football team and follow closely enough to where they have those type of strong opinions. Um, and you know, we can always agree to disagree on certain things, uh, but I thought there were some great points made, and I and I tried to you know make my points as well in terms of comparing uh Mario Williams with Jordan Addison. And it's sort of uh the bigger picture of those two guys playing uh together. And the other elements on the team that are going to come into play well is, is sort of, you know, we're talking about Gary Bryant Jr. And, you know, what he's able to contribute to the team and sort of everything that, you know, is kind of comes together to make that offense go and what it would look like without Jordan Addison and what it's going to look like with Jordan Addison. And I do think for sure he's going to be uh Caleb Williams' Number one target, but Mario Williams, you know, as we saw from the spring game is, is going to be there as well and is going to be a guy that I think, uh, USC wants to use a lot really at the line of scrimmage. I think a lot of the RPO and the, 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 the pass game that comes from screens and, uh, that quick pass game can go to Mario Williams because he's so sudden. Um, I think that, uh, Gary Bryant and, uh, Addison definitely allow you to stretch the field more. It's something that I said on the pair style, in response to the discussion that we had uh, from the podcast last week is that I think with Gary Bryant, you know, he had a decent year last year, but I think there's a lot more to Gary Bryant uh, than just, you know, the receptions. It's, it's the threat of Gary Bryant and making sure that Gary Bryant becomes a vertical threat that just him from that standpoint is as much value to the USC offense as, almost is, is his catches in his production. In other words, being able to push that defense back off the line of scrimmage, making sure that those safeties stay deep, respecting his speed and getting those big plays from Gary Bryant. That's really, I think, the, the key with him is his big play potential, not 13 yards a catch, but having him up there at like 20, 21 yards a catch. That, to me, is, is where he becomes a real weapon because – everybody else on the field is able to benefit from him pushing the top off of the defense. And then you're going to be able to get a guy like Jordan Addison uh, and, uh, you know, particularly uh, Mario Williams and the tight ends underneath and then get the run game as well. USC has not had much of a play action run game. And I think those two things are sort of tied together. Uh, Gary Bryant not being able to do much um, with the deep ball And then at the same time, USC not being able to run the ball. Those things are tied together. You know, you kind of don't get one without the other. If USC is able to run the ball, I think it's going to get Gary Bryant loose deep. And Taj Washington as well. People are all forgetting about Taj Washington, who is a very, very dynamic, explosive, fast receiver who can get downfield and can do things in the passing game even underneath on those screen plays. He's very sudden, and he's very good in open space. And so I think if you get the run game, you're able to get those guys vertical a little more. And if you're able to get those guys vertical, then it opens up the run game as well. So both of those things work together and USC has to be able to do that. And I think they can do that and will do that as long as they get that pass protection. That's going to be the thing. The the offensive line, you know, it's been the key for them uh, in previous years. It's still going to be the key for them. If they're able to get pass protection, they're able to get off the line of scrimmage and get some gaps for the run game, uh, everything will come together and they will have a very potent offense next year
1: and we can't sleep on Jordan Addison's speed as well. I mean, he was running a 4-5-1 out of high school. So, he's got some speed too and he could be also be that big downfield threat, but you're right. USC fans are just they've been dying for Gary Bryant to be used in that in that way in terms of like stretching the defense, pushing it back, just get some big plays down the field of Gary Bryant, which who still holds the the mantle as the fastest wide receiver on this team. I did want to throw sort of a little question I just thought of right on the spot. Do you think that Mario Williams and Jordan Addison are capable of both being 1,000-yard receivers next season?
0: Well, 1,000 yards? Uh, yeah. yeah. 2,000-yard
1: receivers in this offense next season, them being the two favorites. When you saw what USC was able to do with Keaton Slovis,
0: and you had Tyler Vaughn, you had Amon Ross Brown, and you had Michael Pittman on that offense, and – how good that offense was now part of that we have to remember also was that the run game really became MIA there at the end of that season they had so many injuries and they really had no run game they had to pass the ball more so they were passing the ball 50 60 times USC doesn't want to do that so while I think it's it's possible I don't think it's probable because I think you do want to run the ball more I think Lincoln Riley knows that in order to have a top 10 team, you're going to have to run the ball more. So Travis Dye and, um, you know, Darren Barlow are going to have to be able to get the ball and they're going to have to get their yards as well. And I don't know if there's enough balls to go around to be able to have that many yards uh, all around and have 2000 yard receivers uh, and a thousand yard rusher. Um, but again, you know, you know, things happen and, and we'll see, you know, how the run game actually goes. Uh, we saw the run game look pretty good in the spring game, but it was going against that front seven, which we have questions about. So uh, until we get into the season and see sort of what USC can do from a balance standpoint, uh we're really not going to know. But I, I think Mario Williams, again, I'm a fan of Mario Williams. I think Mario Williams is a very, very good player. I think he has that dog in him. Uh, I think we saw as a freshman year, you know, he kind of started out a little slow and then he picked it up at the end of the year. And that's what you want to see from a freshman when he starts to acclimate, He starts to get a little more confident within the scheme. I think you saw him hit the ground running uh, with that spring game and sort of spring ball. And you could see how close uh, and the relationship that Caleb Williams and Mario Williams had uh, in the offense. And certainly uh, you're going to see that uh, with the offense going forward. You know, they would like to have sort of that bigger receiver. I'm sure as well. Caleb Williams would love to have that 50, 50 guy. Maybe you can get that with the Malcolm Epps. Maybe you can get that out of the tight end position, uh, but they're not necessarily going to have that guy on the field. So it's going to be a little different flavor. Um, it's going to mean that Caleb Williams is going to have to be a little more accurate with the football. You know, when you're throwing to a bunch of six-foot receivers, 5'11 receivers, uh, you got to get that ball in the numbers because you don't have a Drake London there who's going to be able to uh, jump out of the ballpark to be able to catch the ball.
1: He's not going to be Drake London, but I think Brendan Rice, you know, six-foot-three can sort of be that, that 50-50 guy for this offense. That's just me throwing that out there.
0: He can, a, yeah, he can be the bigger possession yeah. receiver for them for sure. Uh, uh, he's got a bigger body and, and he's a stronger uh, receiver profile wise. He's certainly more of a split end than a flanker or a slot guy. Um, but not Michael Pittman, not Drake London, right. not right. Mike Williams, not Patrick Turner, not etc.
1: Let's uh wrap up this first section. We've been talking a lot about uh, Clarkson and USC players and DJ Lagway. So we're almost at that hour mark. So I think it's time to take our uh, scheduled break. Uh, Gerard, is there anything else you want to add before we we go into this break? We did talk
0: to Malachi Nelson. I know that there Mm were some questions floating around about Malachi Nelson maybe taking some official visits or some visits to other schools over the summer. Michigan was thrown out there. uh, Just to follow up on that, he's not going to visit Michigan. He doesn't really have any contact with Michigan. Uh, He has scheduled his official visit with USC for June 16th. So he's going to be added most likely to that 16th through the 19th big weekend. Uh, Makai Lemon probably accompanies him on that official visit as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. But in addition to uh, that uh, mega, mega recruiting weekend that USC is going to have.
1: And with that, we'll take a break and be right back. Hurricane, how was that break? It was fantastic. Fantastic. I learned
0: Mandarin Chinese during. Oh that wow,
1: period. wow! I'm I'm so impressed. Uh, I hope we get a five star review about that. About that. Hey, <laughs> uh, so, in what is becoming a a re- reoccurring segment on our podcast? Usually after the break. We have to continuously update the June 16-19 visitors list. It keeps growing and growing and growing. We teased it a little bit before the break, but we're back now. Gerard, I mentioned this uh before we started recording, but is this the largest official visit visitor official visitor weekend that you have ever seen in your time at USC?
0: Yes, for sure. For sure for USC, it's double probably of what the biggest <laughs> official visit weekend they've had in terms of the number of visitors. I clearly don't follow every single school to know if other schools have brought in 22, 23 official visitors for one weekend. It's possible that maybe some school brought in 25 for one single weekend. Uh, it will be somewhat of two visit groups it seems it seems like there are guys coming in the 16th and then there are guys that are coming in the 17th now maybe that's just sort of semantics maybe it's just flights or whatever um but it sounds like there might be a little bit of overlap in terms of uh who's coming in when and who's leaving when but yeah it's right now i think up to 22 official visitors it may very well end up being 25 26 uh which we kind of thought, you know, a few weeks ago it was going to continue to get bigger and bigger, and at this point it is. So it's um, it's crazy. It's uh, nuts to think uh, <laughs> the staff is going to have to uh, juggle all these uh, visitors and all these personalities and try to make a read on all these players uh, in that amount of time. I mean, you only get that 48 hours. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, week, I think, at USC, and certainly the preparation that's going to go into it. Is gotta be crazy. The amount of coordination, uh, it's gonna be challenging for USC for sure.
1: And it's not even like just players. We have to factor in that they're also, you know, bringing parents or coaches or uncles or whatever. So it's, it's like at least a group of four people. So there's gonna be well over close to a hundred people coming in for this and you have to organize all that stuff, like you said. But as we've learned through the first sort of, uh, spring, uh, visit weekends that USC is and the support staff are much more organized. So I think they're well-equipped and well-prepared uh, to sort of handle the amount of people that are going to be coming in uh, for this June 16th through 19th weekend. And as we mentioned, that we have a couple more visitors to uh, to add to that. Gerard, do you want to handle it or do you want me to handle it?
0: I will handle it. Uh, the big fish that uh, is now going to come in and take his official visit to USC That weekend is going to be Mateo Ungalale. So the 6'5", 265 pound defensive end from St. John Bosco, uh, is going to make this his big, uh, USC official visit. And a lot of people, you know, out of the gates were questioning, is this the weekend that you want to bring in Ungalale, seeing that you're going to have so many other visitors and he wants to spend time with the coaching staff, so on and so forth. You know, with Mateo specifically, he's been to USC so many times, and he's been to USC like six, seven, maybe even eight times this offseason, spent a lot of one-on-one time with Sean Nua. For him, in this particular case, this is going to be about momentum. This is going to be about getting him around other commits, getting him around other like-minded players who like USC, and if they feel like they can sort of push the envelope a bit with him and kind of get him to maybe be on the cusp of making a decision, you want to build some momentum. If he was to commit, or maybe you have some other guys that are on his level that are committing, you might get that snowball effect. You know, you might get that sort of uh, that uh, that butterfly. Uh, you know, lands on uh, the 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 rock on the side of the mountain, and that rock sort of uh, he flies away and just pushes off that rock just a little bit, and it gets the other rocks going, and all of a sudden you've got a landslide and that's what USC would be looking for, uh, getting, you know, uh, maybe, you know, eight to ten uh, commitments. It's interesting when you look at things from that perspective, you tend to think that a successful recruiting weekend for a school is usually getting about half of the guys committed that visited that weekend. That's usually a success rate. If you get 50% of the guys that visited on a weekend to commit, that's pretty successful. If you got eight kids that come in and take an official visit during the weekend and you get four commitments people are pretty happy
1: about that so <laughs> you're hearing it here to hear first Gerard saying 12, 12 commits, 12, <laughs> 12 commits coming in 12. there you have I mean, that's it. That's, that.
0: that's that's tough I mean you're shooting <laughs> for a lot of guys and I mean you know we haven't done it from a hypothetical standpoint uh of uh who would who would you peg before we get into some of the other visitors, well, let me just we'll rattle off uh, who who else is new to that weekend. So you've got uh, Warren Roberson, who's a six foot, 180 pounds safety slash cornerback from uh, Red Oak, Texas. He's a three star out of Texas that uh, is going to be officially visiting the 17th. Braylon Shelby, who's a six 235 pound defensive end uh, from Frenchwood, uh, Texas. Uh, he's going to be uh, officially visiting that weekend as well. He's already taken an unofficial visit to USC. Christian Pierce, the six foot two hundred ninety pound uh, three star safety from Ranch Cucamonga, who's already committed, is going to be officially visiting USC that weekend. And I check with Zachariah Branch, and the five star number one wide receiver in the country from Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas. He is going to be officially visiting USC that weekend as well. So it looks like the commitments. Most of them will probably be in town for their official visits that weekend, as well as uh, maybe a couple other uh, visitors that won't be committed. So yeah, you're talking about probably 24 to 26, uh, kids that are going to be officially visiting USC that weekend. And so if you're looking at that, you know, 50% rate as, uh, being a successful weekend, quote unquote, that's, um, who, who, who would you earmark, uh, that would be, uh, if you, if you had to guess, there's going to be 12 guys, 10 to 12 guys that commit, that weekend in order to call it a successful weekend. Chris Trevino, you're on the spot. Who are going to so be those 10 you, to 12?
1: You, you, want, you want me to go through the list and pick 12?
0: Yeah, pick 12 guys. Okay. Look, look at the the, 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 the okay. visit list right now if you can. And um, let's see if we can get on the same page. Well,
1: who- yeah, okay, okay. So – well this now is it's what now, fans now want. It's, this is what they want.
0: They want predictions. They want to be able to put this down in ink and then when it doesn't happen, get on the peristyle and tell us it uh we don't know what we're talking about. They're canceling your crystal balls. Have ruined my life.
1: That was, that was intense there. Okay, but now it's confirmed 12 because quote unquote Ace recruiter Zachariah Branch is coming on the visit. They're calling in the big gun for this weekend. We talked to him at that passing event. He he's a recruiter, so I think they're gonna get it done. Just looking at it, I feel not good, but I feel I feel I can only get eleven right now. I only get eleven right now. So do you want me to just run through my list?
0: I want to hear your list. Yeah. What, okay. what What does it look like?
1: So I got Elijah Page. I got Lucas Simmons. I got Amos Talalele. I got Walker Lyons. I got Kate Eldridge. I got. Uh, Malachi Crawford. I got Christian Gray. Uh, I got Mateo. I have Terrence Green. I got Grant Buck, Buck, Buckney, Bucky, and I have David Peavy.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. So you get so that's eleven out of that. That's eleven. Okay, well I mean I'm ten or eleven. That's that's yeah that's, you know,
1: yeah roughly. And, I, and again, a lot of these guys on the visit are commits. So yeah,
0: because that's you know the commits are going to. I mean, that's the total number, right? So we're, we're going off the total number, 50% of the total number, and that includes various different commitments that are going to be there. So I would say, uh, my list overlaps a lot with yours. I actually think I could get more than even 12 out of that.
1: Okay. Me, okay. Be
0: totally honest with you. And did I, mean, I have I don't anyone that build did expectations? I... Well, let me go through. Let me you look are, at
1: this. you are. This is going to be a, a historic podcast and people are going to come back to this. You said 15, Gerard. And they're going to get like seven.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you think about it, six or seven. I mean, could, I mean, who, they could get less and that's going to be a really big thing. You know, I mean, everybody's expectations sort of like with the, uh, the portal. I'm cutting
1: this entire section. I'm just going to cut this entire section.
0: (laughs) With the portal, you know, everybody was waiting for, you know, after spring ball is going to be crazy, crazy. And then like that first day, May 1st comes and goes and everybody's like, Uh, crickets, what's going on? You know, so you never know. I mean, how these things play out, not necessarily like they're going to get all these commitments, you know, the Sunday or Monday, right after the official visit weekend that that, let's make it clear, that's not going to happen. Uh, but nevertheless, looking at this list, David Peavy, we don't know a lot about David Peavy, but we know that Oregon and USC, probably the top schools on his list. So there's potential. He could be a commitment there. Kate Eldridge right now. A lot of people feel like USC leads for him. I would agree. That's a potential. Grant Bucky, USC is battling Stanford. He's a Stanford legacy, but USC, man, you want to come play football. You want to win the national championship. You want to do big things. I think Grant Bucky is a guy that USC could definitely get. The 6'5, 265 pound defensive lineman out of Liberty, Bakersfield, California. That's a potential guy. Bray- Braylon Shelby already been in USC. Um, he's looking at Texas and USC. I think that Texas probably leads there, but USC is within striking distance. I think there's potential there for USC. So I think out of that group that I just mentioned, David Peavy, Kate Eldridge, Grant Bucky, Braylon Shelby, I think Eldridge and Shelby kind of feel more like USC right now, like there's more potential for USC right now uh malachi crawford for sure i think could definitely commit that weekend at usc uh terrence green is another guy i could see committing to usc over the summer so i agree with that Quentin joiner we know is going to be on that official visit weekend he's already committed to usc so you have to count him in that uh you know grand number the overall reaching number christian gray i don't agree with i don't agree with i know you spoke to christian gray after he took his first unofficial visit to USC, I think it was in January, and you got a real vibe from him. And, and I do think that he's one of those sort of guys under the radar that Dante Williams recruits, and probably has USC in a much better place than most people would think. But oh, I wouldn't, I I couldn't say that I would expect him, not expect him, but see him as being part of that group of. If I had to pick ten to twelve guys out of that group, I don't think. Uh, he would be a part of that group. Braxton Myers already committed, would be a part of that group. Walker Lyons, I agree, uh, would be a part of that group. Uh, Zach Branch, so we know already committed. Um, Amos Talalele, yes, I agree. I think, uh, there's a good chance USC, uh, could get him. He's going to potentially take that official visit to Washington the 24th. USC probably wants to lock him down and say, you don't need to take that visit to Washington. (laughs) So Amos Talalele would be a part of that group. Eliza Page also. Uh, Lucas Simmons, the 6'7", 300 pound offensive tackle from Clearwater, Florida, also would be a part of that group. And Mateo Ungalele, I think, uh, could be a guy that would commit as a part of that dozen. So, I don't know how many that is. That was like 13, 14 probably at this point. Um uh, but I think for a, a solid dozen, yeah, I think you could get out of that group. I wouldn't be shocked if USC, uh, got commitments from those players. I mean, you there's gave also- me 10. You gave me 10. I gave you 10. Okay. And there's, there's also uh, Marquise deal who, you know, I know likes USC a lot because of recruiting him more as a defensive lineman than an offensive lineman. Um, we're not really sure, you know, what their reach is going to be into Texas at this point. Um, again, with some of the out of state guys, it's really about building that faith that, Hey, we're going to have a good season next year. You know, we're going to be good next year. We're going to turn things around. The culture is what you think it is uh, because there'll be a lot of momentum during the summer. And, a lot of these guys around each other, you know, basically this is sort of top of the board weekend for USC. They're not maybe going to have every guy that's at the top of the recruiting board visiting that weekend, but it's a lot of those guys. And so, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going to say, hey, look around this room. This is the 2023 class we want to sign. This is the class that we want to use to move forward to turn this program around. Now, obviously they want to turn the program around even before that point, And they want to do it with this 2022 transfer class, but this is sort of, I guess the national championship class. This is how they would sell these guys and say, look around these guys you see in the room. This is going to be what's going to be in the locker room, the night of the national championship game uh, in the next two years or, or whenever. And this is what we're going to use to turn USC football around. And so they're going to want to use that, um, you know recruiting always talk about it' it's sort of three-dimensional you've got the evaluation part of it uh, you have the logistics organization part of it and certainly the evaluation part of it this is where you have come to the conclusion that this is the top of your board and now you have to use your logistics and your organization your guys that are in the office that are doing the player personnel job uh, drew Fox Spencer Harris you know they got to make sure that everything goes well Um Annie Hanson and her group are going to have to make sure that, you know, you've got faces and people that are recruiting in front of these kids all weekend long. Uh, you got to get them on campus. You got to get their families on campus. You got to get them checked in their hotel rooms. You got to get them from point A to point B to point Z during this weekend. So the logistic part of it is very, very important. This is a big deal and this is, you know, where support staff comes in uh, incredibly because you've got to be able to make sure that everybody's happy and everybody's, you know, fed and everybody's, you know, just feeling good about the weekend and, and everything goes smoothly. So the logistics part and the salesman part of actually, you know, getting those coaches in front of these kids, being able to say whatever it is, those right words, finding the champion and being able to sell them on what USC is doing now from a football and academic standpoint, selling them on their future, selling on them the, on their development and what USC can do for them and knowing that uh you know that salesmanship of not only the university but yourself as a coach your resume and what you can do for that player is going to be what closes the deal for you and and there's also you know there's kind of a fourth dimension to it that goes along with the salesmanship aspect of it but it's the read because USC's got to have a good read from this weekend you know they need to know coming out of this weekend all right do we have a good shot at this player or that player you don't want to have a false sense of confidence with you know a handful of guys coming from this weekend thinking oh we're going to have a shot at this guy we're going to have a shot at that guy and then that precludes you from being able to go and pivot and recruit other players specifically local players because that's really going to be the thing now UFC can win next season they will be able to have a shot at some of these guys locally that maybe they wouldn't uh if they have a bad season because if you Strike out on some guys this summer that you're recruiting out of state, your top guys, and then you pivot and you're like, okay, we got to get back after some of these local guys, maybe, you know, a plan B type player, and they know it. You know, you're not, you're, you know, you might as well be honest and transparent about it. Listen, we went hard after this guy, didn't get him, but we think you fit our program. We think we can do great things for you. And We think that this is the best place for you to be. If you're not able to win games, then you end up in uh, Clay Heltonville. You know, you end up, uh, with the 2022 class or that 2019 class where you put all your eggs in the baskets of Bryce Young, of Justin Flo, of Mike Drennan, and you got none of those guys. And you didn't have plan Bs to be able to fall back on. So read is a very big part of this. And some coaching staffs are good at reading recruits, and some coaching staffs are not. You know, I think one of the good things about Lane Kiffin and his staff it, Lane was a very relentless recruiter, but he's also very good at reading who they had a good shot at and who they didn't have good shots at. And so that's a big part of all of this as well, to know where you stand with these kids afterwards. Because, li- listen, a lot of kids don't want to tell anybody no. And there's many cases where recruits will tell multiple staffs. Yeah, I feel really good, coach. I I think I really want to come to your program. I I see myself at your program. And you've got multiple schools coming away thinking they're going to get a kid. And obviously only one of those schools is. So you have to read past that. You have to read past the good vibes. And you have to read past the the projection. And we talked about this a little bit with Josh Connolly and some of these other transfers where, you know, you sort of have your list. And you start crossing off and checking boxes and go, well, this makes sense. He should go to USC because logically it makes sense. Well, logically for you and how you rationalize what works for the recruit is not necessarily what's going through their mind. So you have to really try to have that insight into someone that's close to them. Again, finding that champion that's part of that recruiting process to really know where you stand legitimately in their recruitment.
1: Gerard, you went in there. You wax poetic. And I do want to say we we were we connected on nine on our list uh I did consider Shelby I did we disagreed on gray as you mentioned uh but the one you didn't mention was Walker Lyons
0: no, I think Walker Lyons I mentioned him yeah I could think oh, okay. he could be a, a commitment then we're work. ten
1: then we were yeah. ten of my eleven, which is not bad, which is not bad we only differed on one so well done and it's reason why we're we're co-hosts together. <laughs>
0: that's the reason why. Our one-stars together make two stars.
1: That is correct. Okay, so we have those updates. Gerard, anything else you want to add before we move into – well, you did have one update for the June 10th weekend.
0: Yeah, we talked about this uh, previously. Jordan Hall was kind of like – people were saying that he was going to be there for the 16th weekend, and he'd really not retweeted that or, or put any information out that confirmed that. He had just uh, over the weekend said that he is going to be at USC June 10th. So the uh, 6'4", 300-pound defensive tackle from Jacksonville, Florida, will be a part of that June 10th weekend, which uh, right now it only has uh, two other uh, recruits that are scheduled to come in for USC. Tackett Curtis, who we talked about, also moved his visit around. He wanted to get a little more face time with the coaches, a little more one-on-one time. And so he's going to be on campus. June 10th as well. And John Walker, uh, the 6'3", 310 pound defensive tackle from uh, Kissimmee, Florida, Osceola High School, uh, another Florida defensive lineman. So, you know, interesting. Both of those guys, you know, USC, I think, would be considered on the outside looking in uh, for the defensive tackles. We know that they're right there with Ohio State recruiting Tackett Curtis. Um, we'll see what happens. It's going to be, uh, I, I think you'll probably get maybe five or six official visitors that weekend, I think there'll be a, a couple more visitors. I think potentially uh, a guy that we haven't mentioned uh, verifiably for the 16th, 17th weekend being Malik Bryant, the 6'3", 235-pound outside linebacker defensive end uh, from, from Florida. He said he was going to be there on the 16th, but I could see him being a guy that gets bumped to the 10th potentially. So we'll see how that goes, uh, whether he ends up getting his uh, official visit move, but I could see a couple more official visitors on that June tenth weekend as well.
1: All right, Hurricane, we have one more topic before we get into your favorite part of the show, which is questions. One of those major US USC targets for the twenty twenty class a uh, prospect that we felt USC was moving in the right direction for, DeAndre Moore, the four star uh wide receiver out of Los Alamitos, went up and made a quick surprise I don't know if surprise is the right word, but he made a quick commitment to Louisville over the weekend. Uh, Louisville, which has made a lot of inroads on the West Coast in California. They've been, uh, working that NIL, uh, NIL deals, NIL money. They've been, they've been doing really well out here in the West Coast, especially made a lot of inroads with, uh, St. John Bosco. They have several commitments there, uh, with that Adidas, uh, the Adidas bag. So, Yeah, that that certainly puts USC in an interesting position moving forward with the wide receiver class with Brandon Innes, and we talked about him maybe trending a little bit more towards Alabama, Ohio State. The other guy maybe USC fans felt good about if they didn't get Innes was DeAndre Moore. He's now going to be a Cardinal, so where does USC go from here? There are some options, but I don't think in the long run it's going to be an issue, as you mentioned, recruiting wide receivers for this offense, but it does put USC in an interesting position, uh, for this cycle at the moment
0: yeah it does and again I think the receiver position there's not a lot of panic there and if USC is able to win some football games certainly a guy like DeAndre Moore they will keep their foot in the door with you know he's never going to be too far away from USC when you've got Malachi Nelson there and you've got Makai Lemon and you've got a lot of USC people around him and if USC's in some big games and they win some big games certainly you could see DeAndre Moore up on campus. But I think, you know, again, we go back to actions, speaking louder than words. And he got up for that unofficial visit to USC, had a meeting with Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons, and they sort of talked through the transition period of them leaving Oklahoma for USC. And that was sort of a sore spot from what I gather with DeAndre Moore. And they needed to kind of sit down and talk with him about that. Now, coming away from that meeting, it sounded like USC was the lead school for him. At least that was what I was being told led to believe. But he didn't get up for the spring game and he didn't get up to my knowledge for uh, many of those practices. And so that was a little interesting. I, I, I didn't seem like, you know, that meaning followed with, oh, man, I want to get up to USC a bunch more times now, and I'm so much more interested in their offense, and I'm so much more interested in what they have to say in the school. And to be fair, DeAndre Moore had been up to USC previously. He'd been up to USC a, a few times uh, before he committed to Oklahoma. So it's not like, you know, he's never been to USC. He's a guy originally from Southern California, went to Vegas for a while, played at Desert Pines, and then now he's back at Los Alamitos. So um, yeah, he's not going to be too far away from USC to be able to recruit. They're going to have access to him. Um, but something that's interesting that I feel like we spoke about in our first podcast, maybe it was the second podcast, but our first composite podcast, I felt like we talked about DeAndre Moore and we talked about NIL and how one man's five star is, or excuse me, correct that, one man's three star could potentially be another man's four star, and one man's four star could be another man's five star. When it comes,
1: you have, you have mentioned this, yes, this theory. Yeah, to,
0: to in an NIL respect, in that you know DeAndre Moore becomes a guy that Louisville kind of wants to build around. You know, like he's going to be one of the top guys committed in their class. Whereas with USC, if everything goes right for USC for the 2023 recruiting cycle, he's just sort of one of many guys, and so. You know, some people, you know, they they, they don't understand it through the prism of, you know, what the school has to offer, this, that, and the other. But, you know, we saw with Deshaun Jackson back in the day when he decided to go to Cal over USC, he didn't want to be the guy that was playing opposite of Patrick Turner. He didn't want to be the opposite of all these other players that USC was recruiting and all these other great players that they had already in the locker room. He wanted to be the guy, and he knew at Cal, He could be the guy that they would literally build that offense around him. And that's what they did. And he was successful at Cal. He didn't win a lot of games. You know, he he didn't ever sniffed a national championship uh, or a Rose Bowl. But nevertheless, he was the guy and they sort of built around him. And with the era of NIL, you take that to another level in terms of earnings as well. And so, you know, perhaps DeAndre Moore is sort of like that five-star for Louisville where USC is just a four star and he doesn't feel like he's going to get everything from that, that uh, maybe a Malachi Nelson would get, or, or some of those guys that are higher up in terms of their notoriety and the exposure they're going to get because of the position that they play. So that's an interesting dynamic in that, in that, you know, we look at NIL and all these schools that are not going to be able to complete this, that, and the other, you know, Louisville is, is sort of a mid-major program, but They're using this to their advantage to be able to cherry pick some guys that, hey, why do you want to be the third receiver at Alabama? Why do you want to be the second, you know, linebacker at Alabama? Why do you want to be, uh, the guy that, uh, is, you know, sort of middle of the class at Clemson or Ohio State or USC when you could come here and you're actually our guy that we build around and we get some NIL for you because you're top of our class. So, again, you know, one man's four-star, another man's five-star. So I think that's something at play here that we have to look at, bigger picture. But for USC, is it a huge deal? Are they not going to be able to get back in it with DeAndre Moore? Are they not going to have other options? Of course not. They, they're going to be able to have their foot in the door with DeAndre Moore as the season progresses, as summer progresses, and uh, they're certainly going to have some other options here at wide receiver. And that includes Bernie Ninas. Um, but it includes other guys. I mean, I, I, Aiden Menzel is a player that we don't really talk about much from Orlando, Florida, uh, number 23-ranked receiver in the nation. USC's uh at the top of his favorite list. So we'll see if he comes out and, and takes a visit to USC at some point. Tyler Williams uh, has expressed interest in taking an official visit to USC, the number 32-wide receiver in the nation, hundred eighty pounds, from Lakeland, Florida. There's a few lo- local guys that USC can recruit that they really haven't recruited. And again, if you have a good season, if you're winning 9-10 games and you're showing that turnaround, uh, there'll be a lot of momentum there. So Malachi Riley at Centennial High School, Corona, you know, 6-265 pounds. He's ranked number 57 wide receiver in the nation. Um, you know, LaVon Brown from Las Vegas, 6-180 pound, a guy that we saw was very good at the Under Armour camp. There's plenty of options there at wide receiver for USC when you've already got Makai Lemon and Zachariah Branch committed. So, yeah, it's certainly not time for USC fans to panic about that third receiver spot. Um, you're going to have Jalen Hale come in for that official visit weekend, uh, June 16th, 17th. Uh, he's 6'2", 175 pounds, ranked the number nine wide receiver in the country, a four-star from Longview, Texas. Um, certainly... Not a player that you would necessarily look at and say, okay, uh, this is the next guy in line. <laughs> USC's got a lot of uh, competition for Jalen Hale, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Texas, so on and so forth. The SEC schools will be after him, like Alabama. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of uh, maybe Chris Marshall, somebody that USC uh, recruited last year at wide receiver. Uh, ended up committing to Texas A&M. Uh, he's got a little T-Mac McVillan to his game. I think he's a little faster then T-Mac, he ran like a 10-5-1 in the 100 meters just recently. Uh, T-Mac is not that fast, but uh, has a little bit of that ability for the 50-50 ball. Uh, a very good player, but a guy that, you know, we've talked about in previous podcasts. We've talked to Jalen Hale and didn't know a lot about USC, didn't know a lot about LA. Uh, didn't seem like uh, from that standpoint, there was a ton of interest. But now that you have uh, basically that Oklahoma staff, you know, in terms of relationships, that also obviously changes things. Uh, but he's a guy that you would like to have seen come in unofficially because he's unofficially visited several schools already, USC not being one of them, uh, just to kind of show how serious he might be in USC. Um So this is more of a, you know, get a feel, see where, you know, you get some traction with his family, uh, getting him on campus, and maybe recruit him from that point going forward. Uh, but we'll see if he makes a decision before the end of the summer. Uh, and if, uh, you know, that happens, then maybe it's going to be a little harder to bring him back out on an unofficial visit and be able to flip him.
1: Another poetic wax by Hurricane, Gerard Martinez. Thank you so much for that, Gerard.
0: One other guy that I would mention too. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Is an athlete who might be better at defensive back, but I've mentioned him before. Who you love. You love. Ethan O'Connor. Uh, I think uh, he he is a very good athlete and a very good player, very underrated. You know, when you've got Malachi Nelson, you've got Makai, and you've got DeAndre Moore there at Los Alamitos, uh, you don't hear a lot about Ethan O'Connor, but a very productive player that plays both sides of the ball and a guy that I've seen play in person a few times and really likes uh, and I think has got his best football ahead of him and could be one of those guys that, you know, people lose track of and all of a sudden ends up in the NFL because right? everybody was focused on – uh, all the other top players. So, uh, another potential, uh, option at receiver again, I, I don't know that I don't maybe like him a little more at defensive back. Um, but USC's kind of keeping him warm a little bit and they've been recruiting him, uh, but not necessarily a guy that, uh, they pushed in hard on.
1: And with that, we have reached the end of our normal portion of the podcast. And then we're going to go into some listener questions, Gerard. Is your voice ready? For this yeah. final run of questions. We
0: are ready to answer the most ambiguous, open-ended questions. Rapid fire.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, this one comes from D from Central, Cal- Central Valley. Uh, thank you, D. You always seem to have a question uh, for us uh, every week. And, again, if you want to hit us with questions, I always forget to do this at the top of the hour because I don't know how many people or percentage of people actually make it to the questions after two hours of listening to us talk. But you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you market for two-star podcasts, those Latino guys, uh, Jimbo and Saban, uh, Hurricane, uh, two-star podcasts, whatever you want. Just address it to us, and we'll make sure we'll get it in our list. Again, this comes from D from Central, the Central Valley. I am old enough to have seen former star running back Ryan Knight play in high school. I was sure he was going to be the next Charles White for USC. Obviously, I was wrong. Can you please – can you please give us a U.S. recruit that you saw in high school that you were sure was going to be really good but turned out to be a disappointment? Not injury-related or legal issues. Thank you. Uh, my first question is, who is Ryan Knight?
0: Uh, Ryan Knight, I believe, played at Rubidoux High School. He was the brother of Sammy Knight. And so an IE guy, Riverside guy, not a okay. Okay. Valley guy. If I'm talking about the right Ryan Knight.
1: I'm doing a Google search. I'm just let I'm just I'm just stalling right now.
0: The guy that comes to mind certainly first and foremost would be Whitney Lewis. Mm. Now, there's some extreme circumstances there with Whitney Lewis and him having dyslexia and that being a bit of an issue with him academically and it kind of derailed his career a bit at USC and uh he came to USC way over eight. Um, they didn't find out that he had dyslexia, I think, until his senior year, which is kind of ridiculous considering he went to a private school in St. Bonaventure, but they diagnosed but don't him. But all I care
1: about football. They don't care about.
0: I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> and,
1: uh, I agree with you the
0: he got on campus and, uh, was about 240 as a receiver, about 6'1", 240. They played him a little bit at fullback. He didn't want to play fullback or running back. He wanted to play wide receiver. And so that first uh, semester was kind of just a wash for him. He was confused, didn't really know the offense, and, and it just didn't do a whole lot. But come around to spring ball, he had lost a lot of his weight in the offseason uh, conditioning program, and he got down about 225. And this was that spring ball when Mike Williams left USC to try to go to the draft, which, you know, was obviously a huge mistake. And you think about, man, if you would have added Mike Williams to that team, holy cow. But Whitney Lewis stepped up and he looked like the guy. He looked like the next guy. It's like you got Reggie there and Whitney is the guy Now you got to remember Whitney Lewis out of high school was a thousand yard receiver and a thousand yard rusher. He ran a 438 at the Nike combine at like 230 pounds. He was a dude and he a had dude. a lot he had a lot of potential. and so we saw glimpses of that in spring ball where he lost that weight. And he made some great catches. He was playing receiver. And it was like, man, he's going to be the starting wide receiver. Mike Williams, they're not going to let him back after taking the money from the agent. They're going to put Whitney Lewis in there. And then they've got uh, Dwayne Jarrett. He's going to come in during the summer as a receiver. And, man, that's going to be good. USC is going to keep on rolling. And, unfortunately, the grades came in. The, the academic issues came in. And he had to leave USC. And it basically derailed his career. He ended up transferring, I think, to it was Montana or maybe Montana State. And we didn't really hear it from Whitney Lewis after that point. So he would have been one, uh, understandably, in terms of the context, though, and the spirit of the question. Maybe John Houston to some extent, because I felt like John Houston had pro potential. And John Houston had a good career at USC. It wasn't like he was bad at USC. He was a starter. Uh, he didn't get great player development, obviously, and some of that was a factor. But I, I felt like he was a guy that could have put on the weight and could have actually got to NFL. I felt like he had the demeanor and the composure and the disposition to be another Sarah guy that got some time in the NFL and uh, obviously, you know, wasn't drafted. So never came to be that level player. But, um, you know, again, disappointment, that's probably not the right way to say it. I mean, he certainly uh, contributed at USC and was a good player for USC. uh, But I had higher expectations for him.
1: Yes, obviously you have a much deeper pool of players to pull from, but for me, at least, the one that's on the top of my list would be Pauleeae Nioteote. Uh, yes, yes. He, I remember watching him uh, play in that uh, game that came out here for California, and I believe, and they played Bosco, and he was just incredible. He was all over the field, everywhere the play was going, he seemed to be right there. Looked like his instincts were, were perfect. He was big. He was, uh, like I said, instinctual. He had a nose for the football. He hit hard. You know, five star linebacker. I just thought he was like a sure thing. And I watched him once up close in person. And I thought, yeah, that guy's going to be a star. So, Pilot EA is probably, uh, probably my pick for right now.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that I'm sure that, you know, I'm forgetting about over the years. But, uh, yes. Yeah, now about Ryan Knight. Are we talking about Ryan Knight here?
1: Yes, you were I looked it up. You were thinking of the right Ryan Knight for Robidou, Robido? Robidou? Rubido. Rubido High School. Rubidoux. Is that high school still around? What a weird little name.
0: It is. Uh last time I was at Rubido they had a passing tournament there. Uh it's in uh, you know, a little uh Little sketchier part of town just uh sure, sure. east of uh, Bloomington, uh played at Bloomington High School as well. Uh that's 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 thick I.E. man. That's uh that's getting into the you know, you get on that ten freeway and uh you're in the thick of the IE <laughs> up there between Fontana and Riverside.
1: Yes, well you were right. You were right, uh nineteen eighty four chose USC over Oklahoma, so a little bit of a full circle moment there, uh for Ryan Knight. So Moving on, uh, this one comes from Alex. Lane Kiffin wants a salary cap for players. Wasn't there a salary cap before student tuition with room and board that SEC violated with bags of money? Question mark. And why would there be a salary cap for players if there is no salary cap for coaches? Love the show, Alex. Great points. <laughs>
0: <I> mean, we, <laughs> Great we, points. We
1: could uh, have we could have asked them at the QB retreat.
0: You, yeah, exactly. You can't have salary caps for NIL that would be sued to Kingdom Come. (laughs) There was no way you're gonna escape litigation from that. But could you have salary caps for coaches? Sure. Why not? I mean that's a little more within the restraints of the NCAA and what the NCAA wants to do because the schools themselves are paying the coaches. This is a difference. The schools themselves are not paying these players through NIL. So Unless the schools get involved and they say you can't have NIL, which you have to revert and go backwards, which is going to be antitrust law city <laughs> to say you can't have NIL if you want to play for the NCAA colleges. But the NCAA colleges and the schools that are a part of the NCAA and have NCAA membership will play, will pay those players directly. Then you would have some ability to say, okay, we're going to put a cap on it. But again, Genie's out of the bottle, folks. I mean, I don't know how you're going to revert NIL and say, yeah, okay, we're just going to pay you directly, but you can't take payment from any brands because you're amateurs, but we're paying you. Like, it just doesn't work. It just, it's it's a mess. And so um, I don't see salary caps for players um, in terms of, you know, when they get the money and, and how the money – dispersed yes i can see that there could be something done there um to change some things around and certainly there's going to have to be some regulations and some rules that are put in that uh, stop boosters and collectives but again we talked about the boosters being able to go around that and just create some shell companies that are fake that are gonna you know uh involve uh branding and marketing and and what have you and I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some things that can be done that it becomes just very difficult for uh, someone to put up a fake company. It's not worth them, you know, putting up a fake company that the amount of time and effort because of the audit that the NCAA may require of them to be able to prove that this is an actual job. This is an actual endorsement. This is an actual sponsorship. And it's not just some millionaire guy that wants to give a player money so he goes to a specific school. I think the schools and the boosters getting burned by not being able to create contracts that are football-centric is going to be a thing that we'll see play out. And perhaps that becomes something that prevents a lot of these boosters from wanting to throw money at these kids. If You know, you're throwing a bunch of money at Quinn and... It's just for like a couple autographs and then he never even plays for Ohio state. You know, did that millionaire actually get anything out of that? Like you do, you played the guy 2.1 million dollars and he didn't even play and you it, basically you just blown two million dollars. That guy's going to think twice about ever doing that again. So if you cannot, uh, connect these donations, quote unquote, <laughs> or these sponsorships, uh, to, a actual performance uh, point in a contract that says you have to be at this school and you have to play football for this long, or you have to have this many touchdowns or you're the starting quarterback and so on and so forth, then, you know, maybe that just doesn't become worth it for these donors and they'd rather put it into facilities or something that's a little more of a sure thing in terms of their investment.
1: I just want to mention that the, the donor or the booster that, about the 2.1 million dollar quin years deal he's like the unofficial third member of this podcast he comes up all the time on this podcast
0: we need to figure out who that guy is <laughs> and,
1: and, and we should do an investigative report
0: I mean I don't think he wants to talk about that publicly uh, <laughs> I mean you know did was there something there within a contract of some sort that he didn't have to pay that money in full or it was like over the course of so many years that you signed so many autographs because I believe it was autograph related, correct? I think you I think right, right. That.
1: It was autograph. Yeah.
0: So is it like, hey, you've got to sign a thousand autographs every year and then I give you this much of the money? Like from what we understand from Nico Aymayeleva's contract, which a lot of people dispute the the number, the the amount that has been reported of a million dollars and they say it's not true. But nevertheless, it was reported he doesn't get all that money up front. It's two million dollars each year. But supposedly, there are things involved with him being the starting quarterback at Tennessee, which is a big no-no. It's, completely it's a no-no. Can't do not that. Legal to do that, according to the NCAA. But we've seen all of these universities go to their states and they're trying to get certain bills passed. About collectives being able to talk to not only the prospects, but they're being able to be dialogue between university officials and the boosters about recruits and players, and that's interesting because it just seems like everybody's getting ready for some retroactive lawsuits um, that will happen with the NCAA going after any universities that use these collectives to induce. Uh, kids to go to a specific school. And so what these universities want to do again is be able to sort of hide behind the state and have the state sue the NCAA or go after the NCAA if the NCAA decides to levy any penalties or sanctions on the schools instead of the school fighting the NCAA one on one like USC did.
1: Yeah. The, the deal was 1.4 million. It was over three years. So maybe he didn't lose all that money. Maybe he only lost. If, yeah. it, if
0: it was over four years and again, you know, uh, what it actually was in terms of the language of the contract, was there an actual contract there? Um, that all comes in to, 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 to the, you know, how it works with these donors and, and whether they feel like it's a, a worthwhile investment to be able to, you know, land these players, uh, the $30 million recruiting class at Texas A&M put together You know, I'm sure there's, yeah, there's contracts here. And the thing that's scary is right now, I know a lot of these recruits do not have agents. And they may have lawyers that look over these things before they sign them. But a lot of them do not have agents. So, you know, what they're signing and, and and, you know, the issues that might happen if, you know, out of that class that Texas A&M has, you have a few guys that want to transfer and want to leave. You know, are they actually locked in? To staying at Texas A&M and A&M no matter what. And then on the flip side, I mean, what about if you have a player that, uh, just ends up not being very good and he's a bit of a bust? You know, does, does Texas A&M just eat that like you would a regular franchise in the NFL? Or do these boosters already, you know, doing some things maybe behind the scenes that they shouldn't be from a business standpoint, try to do some things behind the scene to get out of those contracts? It's, uh, there's a lot of fallout that could come from this. There's a lot of horror stories that could come out of this. and, We're just going to see how it happens and and, um, if uh, that's what actually brings regulation. If those type of things happen, that's when you're going to start to see the government come in when, you know, uh, you see people saying, you know, I was a 17-year-old kid. I didn't know any better and they made me sign this deal and it turns out I was signed away for life and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that and all of a sudden that gets in front of Congress and then it becomes, you know, Ed O'Bannon or what have you where the government decides that uh, they want to start to get involved and start to sniff around a bit into uh, not only the boosters but the universities themselves and what they're doing. And uh, there's already been quite a bit of talk about you know government regulation over NIL and um, whether that would be a good thing or not.
1: Let's stay on that NIL path with this next question, which comes from my guy Shel Borsky. If NIL stays prominent in the call co- in the sport of college football. Do you think the art of recruiting will become a thing of the past? Will coaching staffs be more focused on development and scheme and not on recruiting since money will bring players to a school? If so, Tosh Lapoy might be in trouble up at Oregon. That's an interesting question, an interesting thought, just that if everything is considered equal and it's all about money, does does it matter to have a guy who's a really, really good recruiter when all the checkbooks will be the same, you know, if that makes sense?
0: Well, if all the checkbooks are the same, then yes, because you still have to have a deciding factor. And that would be the relationship that you have with the coach or the fit or the school academically. The question becomes if the checkbooks are not all equal and it just becomes who pays more. And if there's some schools out there that are going to pay millions of dollars and other schools can't, then it just becomes about who you're able to get with your budget, (laughs) And, and even still, I think there's definitely going to be some recruiting that has to be involved. You know, come here, take less money, uh, because, you know, we're going to do more for you. And at the end of the day, this is chump change that you're being offered. You want to get to the NFL and you want to get that big, uh, rookie bonus that guaranteed money. And that's only going to happen if you're a good football player and we can make you a good football player. So I think recruiting is definitely still going to be involved and You know, if you still have black money out there, you know, you've got the money that's above the table, uh, but you have sort of got that black market that exists uh, between the lines. You know, right now, the collectives are sort of that, you know, because collectives, according to the NCAA, are not supposed to exist. Uh, They're not supposed to induce. They're not supposed to be involved in the recruiting process at all. And so you sort of have that dark money that's uh laying around there and uh you still have recruiters that even before nil dabbled (laughs) in that black market of recruiting to induce recruits and to get them to certain schools and so if that still exists you're still going to have that and you're still going to have those coaches who recruit uh on the cusp of what's legal and what's not legal um so yeah there's still going to be the art of recruiting and, and what it means and you know, how important it is, how much it's marginalized is up to debate. But I think you're still going to have those instances where perhaps you have two schools that are basically bidding the same amount of money for a particular player and they have the same amount of money on the table. And again, I have to be clear. It's not the schools that necessarily have the money on the table. It's just the market and the form and stage that they provide in order to present uh, that, pat- that particular player, an NIL package, uh, the companies that want to step forward, uh, because that player is playing with that certain amount of exposure at that particular school, whether it be, you know, a, a recruit that is looking at USC and using LA as that vehicle for exposure and branding or another, uh, university, maybe like Alabama where you had a small college town, but the Alabama brand, obviously with the winning, uh, and the NFL uh, factor, it becomes something that lures a lot of companies in to be able to put money uh, in to those recruits that are looking at that school. So again, it's not the schools that are putting the money forward, but it's the opportunities, the NIL opportunities being the same between, let's say, a, a USC and a Texas, uh, like Jordan Addison, then it becomes about relationships, right? You know, Texas is uh, not a not, not a school that's, uh, you know, hurting for money, and uh, obviously USC is not a school hurting for money. So Jordan Addison, uh, which we didn't really talk about that, we didn't get into NIL. I wasn't gonna, you know, put him on the spot with those type of questions. How much did you get paid in NIL money to go to USC? That's a dopey, you know, uh, lowbrow question uh, for a guy knowing uh, that uh, A he's not gonna answer it, and B it's just kind of rude. Um, but you know, clearly he has those opportunities at both of those schools, and uh, they're probably um, close. To each other, it becomes about the relationships. It becomes about who's throwing me the ball. It becomes about who's going to be my position coach. It becomes, you know, uh, academically, you know, where am I going to be set up with after I leave college? Maybe football doesn't, you know, pan out for me. It could go to the NFL. Could be there for a couple years, blow my knee, and, and not be able to play again. So, what is that degree going to give me? And all those other things. So that becomes very much about recruiting. You've got to sell that to. Uh, the, 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 the players, you have to sell, you know, your development to those players. And that's all part of, again, that three dimensional aspect of recruiting of, uh, you know, being able to evaluate who you want and who's going to be able to contribute to your football program, you know, the logistics and the organization of being able to put in the right people in front of that target, in front of that prospect to be able to do the third thing, which is to sell them on the football program.
1: Hey, Chris, this is for the two star podcast. Have you or Gerard in the last few years come across a situation? Where a high school or seven-on-seven coach has trained up and sent kids to USC, only for them to underperform due to lack of development, subsequently leading the coach to try and steer future recruits away from USC. Love the work you you guys and the rest of the team does for us, and we appreciate it. This is from Kabui. I think I said that right. K e k e b u i, Kabui. I think I said that right. So. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Obviously, I'm not going to – we're not going to name names or clubs or anything like that. But I don't know if it's in – I mean we've heard of things or
0: – Rapid got, fire, yes. Oh,
1: that's <laughs> – yes, the answer <laughs> yes, is we, yes. We, yes, yes. I was trying I, to I, dance around <laughs> or put I'm it nice. trying nicely.
0: to find a diplomatic way to say yes.
1: Yes, yes. yes.
0: Um. And you know, even you know, probably steer guys away that are on the roster right now um, from uh, from USC and get them to transfer. So yeah, it happens. And of, of course, I mean, how can you blame a, a trainer or someone that has been involved with the player? I, I mean, it's the same with the parents as well. You know, if you've yeah. got a son that's gone to USC and you feel like they've been underdeveloped, um, do you want your next son to go to USC and, and receive that same treatment?
1: Very valid point, and we get that. We get those conversations all the time when we're out at events or on the recruiting trail and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, especially when you have a a older brother that, that went to USC. It's something that definitely is talked about and sort of in the back of the minds. Obviously, this is a new era, new coaching staff. So I don't think you have to worry about that moving forward, at least for right now. Our final question comes from Mike. Dear Chris and Gerard, still loving the show. I I, I love that because it implies that he really liked the show to begin with and we're still doing a, we're still doing it right, you know? Uh, he's got two questions, one rapid fire question and one longer question. First, despite all the visits, I'm not getting the vibe that Mateo is a USC lean like everyone seems to assume. Can you briefly affirm or push back on my uninformed assessment? My longer question is what each of your thoughts are on USC having most of its priority recruits on campus officially. During the summer when the thought is that recruits want to see USC prove it on the field after the half-wit quote-unquote coach who preceded Riley did everything in his power to destroy the program, Mike, tell me how you really feel. It seems like the current staff is pushing too close on top targets this summer foregoing the chance to recruit from a stronger position in the fall. Obviously, their calculus appears to be that their top targets are deciding on a faster timeline, and if they miss, they will circle back. To their tier, because guys this, because guys this fall. Hold on. If they miss, they will circle back to their guys this fall. But this is, but is this the approach you would take if you were a USC recruiting coordinator? Sorry, you get a little, little wonky there. Um, Gerard, what do you want to tackle first?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, first questions first. Uh, Mateo Ngulale is he a USC lean? like, quote-unquote, everybody seems to assume. I wouldn't assume that. I mean, I think what we assume is that Oregon and USC stand out for him. Those are the two schools he's seen the most. He's going to officially visit Oregon June 24th. So he's got Ohio State June 10th. He's got USC on that big weekend, June 17th. And then he's got Oregon June 24th. If he wants to make a decision before the end of the summer,
1: like most Bosco you, kids do.
0: Yeah. You don't really want him to take that official visit to Oregon June 24th. Uh, but I think he probably does. Mm-hmm. I think Oregon has shown they can recruit hard enough and good enough that they are going to make sure that they get in front of him before he makes a decision. What you don't want, if you're USC, is him to take that official visit and then hear... Sounds like USC sounds like USC and all of a sudden pop up for a unscheduled, unannounced, unofficial visit at Oregon. <laughs> right before he commits. Okay. We, we've seen that dog and pony show. So, uh, the assumption is that he's a USC lean. I think that it's arguable that he is a USC lean. I, I I'm not going to sit here and try to get into the, you know, predicting and, and I, I, again, I've, I've said it before, I'm kind of just not, uh, Really, all that passionate about trying to make predictions for these seventeen-year-old kids anymore with everything involved? I think you just kind of wait and see what happens. But I think USC is in a very, very good position for him. I think you just—you
1: a- just made us pick twelve guys out of an official visit.
0: That here. was just for fun. Hey.
1: Okay. Fun. Okay.
0: Nobody. Nobody wrote that down at all, except for you. Except um, for me. Except for you. Uh, but I think with Ungalale, USC is in a very good position for him, and uh, certainly his relationship with Sean Nua. Um, I I get the vibe that yeah, USC is the the leader, but again, that's just a vibe and a feeling, and um, you know, talk for about a guy it. that
1: doesn't give out much vibes.
0: No, he doesn't. Um, but I think there's a lot behind the scenes, and certainly a lot with off the field that he likes about USC, and um, those are some obstacles. I think off the field is an obstacle for Tosh Lapoy. In Oregon to overcome with uh, Mateo and Galilei. I think that's really the thing that that they have to battle against, and they will battle against that with NIL and Nike and everything else. But this is not going to be completely about a football decision. I think there's a lot that goes into his education and uh, his interest in music. And USC recruited well even before Lincoln Riley got there. I think they recruited that angle, that aspect of uh, his recruitment well. At USC. And so, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't think everybody assumes that USC leads. I think everybody assumes that Oregon and USC lead and that USC has a great shot at him. And I would agree with that.
1: And now for the longer portion of the question, I think we touched on this a little bit. I don't actually, I don't remember if you talked about it on the show or we talked about it before we started recording in our little, pre-podcast podcast where we just kind of talk about what we want to talk about. And no, I'm not putting up that audio of that exclusive. Or maybe that's the VIP content, Gerard. What do you think? There you go. There you go. Uh, so it is an interesting decision to have all these visits come in in the summer, in June, and stack them like this. And you did mention a little bit of maybe saving some of those for the fall uh but i do think a little bit is because the timeline for a lot of these kids does feel a little bit more accelerated just because you can't take official visits in the summer and a lot of kids want to get it out of the way going into their their senior year not have to worry about it but some kids you know they love the process they want to go on visits during the season they want to you know finish up a game friday and then run to the airport to uh to go catch a uh Saturday, Saturday night game in whatever city or college town. So for some of them, they like that. Some of them want to, to take the process, get the process going early in the summer. And I think you have to adhere to those kids and you'll, you'll have some kids on campus. You can, as Gerard said, you can have them take unofficials uh, during the season, especially the local ones. Um, I just think it's more so about the timeline and USC also can't wait around in the recruiting game to, to wait, to prove that stuff on the field. I think it makes more sense to hit the ground hard, uh, get in front of these kids, get them on campus. USC has a lot to offer, not just in football. And I think if you could get kids on campus, get them in this environment, you know, it's L.A., you can take them to Lincoln's house, you can take them to the beach, you can show off the city. That's a lot of things that can keep USC competitive, even though Lincoln and the staff don't have a lot of stuff to show, on the field right now and they can talk it up and you know the expectations are high and it's just going to be a twofold recruiting boost if USC gets to that 9 win 10 win range as you know a lot of people are picking them to do but i think USC is in a position where it can sell itself early just because it has a lot of things to offer in LA in socal so it keeps them in the mind in the and it keeps them uh it keeps them Kids can be invested in USC just because they have these other things to offer, and obviously they want to see the stuff on the field, but you know USC can't offer that right now. It has to wait three more months. So I think you you rather start earlier than start late, especially if the season doesn't go the way you want it to go in in the fall, if that makes sense. I just blabbered for like what felt like 20 minutes. I don't know how you do it, Gerard.
0: Well, you tell me I wax poetic when I do that. So you're waxing yeah, I- poetic.
1: No, I, I I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, you've got an argument either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Los Angeles is such a unique city. You have to compare what you have with other football programs and what they have to offer compared to what you have to offer. And you touched on this a little bit, Chris. In the middle of the summer with nobody really on campus and a lot of these universities, most universities have summer visits. Uh, There have been some that actually have gone away from it. Clemson wasn't having official visits over the summer. I think they've changed that policy recently because of the timeline, because you have the early signing period now. Now, they push back that early signing period and they say, all right, we're going back to the one signing period, just going back to February, or they moved up the early signing period into September, I think you would see a lot change here. But because you've got that December signing period, and it comes up so quick because it's right after the season, and you have all these coaching changes and all this turmoil and all this stuff that happens in that window of time from the end of November to mid-December. It's really like you've got to have all hands on deck. And you really want to have your ducks in a row at that point to be able to recruit from. Middle of the summer, there's a lot to do in L.A.
1: Yeah. And
0: L.A. is warm, but it's not that hot. Yeah. Usually you've got some overcasts in the morning. You know, that three, four days can still be very nice. Whereas Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in the middle of June, even Columbus, Ohio, you can have thunderstorms, it's humid, it's hot. So you you really are still competing from a better spot. And moreover, during the season, you don't know what kind of fan turnout you're going to have for the first half of the season. And so USC doesn't want to compete on that standpoint. I think, you know, it's twofold. First, the coaching staff wants to be able to coach during the season. And I and I think this is where, you know, the NCAA has been real lax and and I understand that kids want to be on campuses and they want to see the game environment, and I've mentioned this before. That's really the least important thing of your decision, quite frankly. Is the game environment. You know, that you're not going to be in the stands, during the game you're going to be on the field, man. <laughs> You're going to be in the locker room. It, there's nothing really during a game day weekend that's all that important outside of maybe the preparation before the game, getting to see that, seeing how the team comes together. But, you know, unofficial visits should really be for game weeks and, and being there and enjoying the atmosphere and seeing the fans and everything like that. But for an official visit, it's really not that important. You really want to see more behind the scenes. And what happens behind the scenes is during the offseason. You know, getting be, being able to spend that time with professors and everything—all that happens during the off season. During the season, the coaches are focused on guess what? Coaching, and they should be focused on that. And I know Pete Carroll staff—they didn't want to be on Friday nights, uh, trying to entertain and bring in recruits when they want to have their team meetings. They want to have the players focused on playing the game Saturday, so they didn't spend a lot of time bringing in a bunch of different recruits during the season. Some coaching staffs do. They have recruiting weekends every single home game. And they'll have, you know, three, four guys uh, at the least coming in. And so I, I think it would really be beneficial, quite frankly, for the NCAA to, to bring in some type of, you know, a dead period. Uh, and it would not have official visits during the season. I know that's not going to happen because it's been going on for years and years and years. Uh, and, and kids like it. But I think if you're comparing, that's not necessarily what USC wants. Towards the end of the season, perhaps, you know, when you're hosting Notre Dame, and if you've won a majority of your games, and you're actually playing for something at the end of the season, then you can bring those kids in. Now, the caveat here is, what's going to lure them in on an unofficial visit better? Coming to USC just during the summer, in the middle of the summer, okay, you're off of school, or what have you, maybe, uh, just come down to SC, and you know, it'll be cool, you go to the beach, whatever, okay, you know, it's L.A., Official, unofficial visit to, to, to LA would be cool or coming in during a game week and saying, Hey man, we're going to have this big game. You want to see this play against Notre Dame? You want to see Notre Dame? You want to see, you know, whoever we're playing at the end of the season and it could be for the college football player. There might be more that you can sort of put out there a little, little cheese uh, to lure them in as bait to come in unofficially again at the end of the season. And be able to see the team, so you get your foot in the door with that official visit during the year, uh, excuse me, during the summer, and then you get traction with those recruits. And again, uh, you know, uh, some of those guys are going to commit, and and they're not going to commit to USC because they're not going to have necessarily faith in what USC is going to do next season, right? And I think that's particularly true of the defensive players, maybe more so than offensive players. Um, you have to have more faith that USC is going to have a good defense next year and they're going to have a good team next year defensively than offensively because I just think Lincoln Riley has been doing it so long in Oklahoma. He's known for being uh, an offensive guru, and Oklahoma had such good offenses with such good quarterback play. It's going to be easier to sell that. But some of the guys, you know, they may feel like other schools have already done it. There's already that sort of established program and established culture where USC still trying to do that and still trying to prove to these recruits, this is going to be the future. This is what's going to happen going forward. Until they see that on the field, I think you're just going to have some misses there. And maybe, maybe if you do show it on the field, you're able to get back in the game later in the year when it's the fall and it's November and it's, you know, again, it's, you know, 76 degrees at USC on campus and it's, you know, 32 degrees in South Bend or Columbus, Ohio. um So you do. You have that aspect where you can argue and say, "Hey, listen, man, late fall, winter time in LA is amazing. You want to bring kids in at the end of the year? That that weekend right before the early signing period, wouldn't you want to be the last in the year?" Yes, of course. That's a great argument to have. But at the same time, because that's so chaotic and everything's going on, I mean, maybe it's better to get your foot in the door and get that official visit early, establish that relationship reel in some of those guys that might be a little more of an outside chance. And then if you have that good season, you're able to sort of back it up and get them on campus again, unofficially. The thing is you've got to get them on campus again, unofficially, or you probably don't have a chance to flip them. If they make that commitment during the summer and they end up going to Ohio state or they go to Texas or Texas A&M or whatever. And let's say it's Texas A&M because that's a school that probably has, you know, the, the, the chance of just ending up f- flat on their face. And I think if they, don't have a good season this year. You're not going to see them, regardless of whether NIL they have thirty million dollars or not. They're probably not going to be able to duplicate what they did last year. So they only go out there and they win seven games, you know. And USC is able to win ten games. You're still going to have to get those guys back on campus, just because you brought them in on an official visit and they turned around and decided, oh, I'm going to go to Texas A&M. You're still going to have to get them back in LA in you know November or October or December even. I think to have a good shot at them because they're going to be out of state guys. And it's just going to be one of those things where you sort of have to reaffirm what you showed them over the summer. So again, I I think there is a debate and there is an argument for sure to, to push, you know, half of these guys that are visiting right now over the summer, have them visit sometime during December. I mean, it is a chaotic week or weeks. Basically you got two weeks there after the season, but not for USC necessarily. USC should have more stability than a lot of these programs, potentially. You've got Lincoln Riley there. it's going to be there for a long time. You know, maybe there's an assistant coach or something. There could be some, some movement there. But for the most part, USC should be in a better position in terms of stability than they've been in the past, I don't know how many years. So that should work for them. And you would think that maybe those two weeks after the season, uh, you could get some guys in there on an official visit and, you know, maybe flip them where it's going to be a little harder to bring them in on an unofficial visit during that point, you're going to have to win those games. And, again, I think that only lure is going to be maybe a big game against Notre Dame.
1: I'm giving you snaps, Gerard, for, again, waxing poetic.
0: Cool. I gave you jazz hands. So. Oh,
1: okay, but you can't really hear those, so that's unfortunate. For a podcast, Gerard, podcast. This isn't a video podcast. Uh, those are all our questions. Again, if you want to ask us a question on the show and force Gerard to, uh, answer your question, uh, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Just address it to us. I preferably want someone to do it as hurricane. Just somebody hasn't done that yet. Please, please do it as hurricane. Um, okay. (laughs) No, listen to me. Listen to me. And that wraps up our show, Gerard. We, again, we've hit that two hour mark, uh, a little shorter than usual, but again, two hours nonetheless. Is there anything else you want to add? We should have some stuff to talk about for next week. We're going to go to, uh, USC's first summer camp, uh, under Lincoln Riley. They have their, their Rising Stars camp, uh, this weekend, uh, Sunday night. So we're going to be there. We'll have some takeaways, see what's up. We don't really know what to expect, but. That's going to be an event. Uh, and this is our 11th show Gerard. So we made it past double digits. Um, so I just wanted to inform you of that. Uh, anything else you want to add before we, uh, sign off on this episode? This was the Matt Leinert. This was the Matt Leinert.
0: We should have, you know Leinert. what? Ironically, Matt Leinert was there at the Clarkson camp. Uh, we got a little cameo visit, a uh, video of him coming by and saying hi to Caleb Williams and saying hi to Jordan Addison, uh, uh, his son, Cole, was there at the camp, and he's a long-time Clarkson guy. In fact, I mean, Matt Leiner kind of helped Clarkson, you know, build his uh, brand a bit. There you, you go. Know, he was kind of one of the first national guys that Clarkson had. And so, uh, uh, yeah, number 11, and uh, number 11 retired at USC. Uh, but that's all the questions we had, and I think that's all the answers we have for this week. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, this weekend, and, um, you know, as we get the camp, series uh for usc underway for june uh, not only do we have all of the uh, official visit weekends uh, which usc doesn't seem to have any official visitors coming in this first week of june interestingly uh not at this time but uh, maybe some transfers we'll see if there's anybody on campus this weekend it still could be some visitors but uh, none of the top high school guys that we've spoken to it seems like uh the 10th and uh the uh, 17th, and certainly uh, potential for the 24th, although I believe that is going to be the weekend where they have that elite camp. So USC is going to have a handful of camps. They've got quite a few camps. In fact, they have a youth camp that uh, starts today. So they're going to be not in the, just uh, sitting around waiting for guys to come in from LAX. They're going to have a bunch of kids on campus doing camps as well, all month long. It's going to be a crazy month. If the support staff thought that February and January, kind of crazy. They have seen nothing yet. Junior days, please. This is going to be absolutely insane. Uh, it's going to be crazy. This is why I do not want to take you up on your job offer as being a support staff member at Trevino Tech. It just, uh, I, it, it, listen, it's a tougher job. Than the position's yet.
1: still open, Gerard. Yes. The position's yes. still open.
0: And I still say no.
1: And he still says no. Well, Gerard, you know the best place to keep up to date with all things USC recruiting, right? Trader Joe's. Close. Oh, but not close. That's uscfootball.com, Gerard. Oh, yeah, of course, the Peristyle. That's the, the only Peristyle. That and is the ob- only place you get. And ov- and obviously, this podcast, the one you're listening to right now, it's going to be a busy, hectic, recruiting-filled June. So. Tune in to Two Star Podcast. We'll have everything that's going on in June and everything that's to come. Uh, so stick with us right here. I'm Chris. That's Gerard, a.k.a. Hurricane. And we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits.